Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. How about that? Good morning again, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. Hey, can we thank the band for leading us in worship? Can we honor them? Great. Thank you, Verona. Thank you, Lens. And uh, thank you, Gloria. We have a lot of amazing uh, worship leaders here at our church. And Gloria is one of the matriarchs of worship here at this campus who has been leading faithfully here for years. Where'd Gloria go and sit? Where is she? Wherever Gloria is, we honor you, Gloria. Does anybody know where she went? Okay. Well, somebody tell her I said nice things about her afterward, I guess. Uh, we, we honor you, friend. We honor you. All right. Hey, so we're going to jump right on in. I want you to go ahead and grab your notes out of your Connect folder, and we're going to jump into our message for in this series here. We're talking about the best year yet. Everyone say that with me. Best year yet. And what we're doing is we're talking about how to focus on what's most important that will bring you the most joy and satisfaction in life in the coming new year. We're at the point of the year where we're three or four weeks in. All the statistics say that about two-thirds of you have already forgotten about whatever resolution you made at the beginning of the year. But what we're talking about today isn't pithy resolutions about I'm this year I'm going to clean out my closet. You know, that one that's just have been full of junk for years. No, this is about deeper stuff. The most important things in life, that if you focus on them, that this could bring you the best year yet. So we're taking our wisdom from the Apostle Peter. We've talked a lot about that the past several weeks. If you have missed any of the messages, you want to catch up, if you want to learn more of what we're talking about, if you're a guest with us here today, you can just go online and listen to them on our website or on our podcast. Go download any of them. We publish all of them from all of our campuses. But we focused on our theme verse of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to put it on the screen. We're going to read it out loud all together. Ready, go. His divine power has given us everything we need for our godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, after this verse, when Peter starts talking about how God graciously doesn't just tell us to live a godly life, but the God of grace, as revealed in the scriptures through Jesus Christ, is the God who gives us what we need, the grace that we need, the power that we need to live the godly life that he has called us all to. That's what following Jesus, that's why following Jesus is so amazing. He's not some grouchy old man sitting on a throne, looking down his nose on us, waiting for us to be holy so we can have a right relationship with him. He's the God who makes us right with him by grace, and he's the God who by that same grace empowers us to live different. I don't know about you, but I need power to live differently in my life. Anybody else? Amen. That's what makes this God great. So after this verse, Peter creates a virtue list. Virtue lists were used in the ancient world to talk through uh, a moral code specifically in the ancient Greek world, but Peter took this idea and applied it to the Christian community in the first century, the first followers of Jesus. And he started this list. We talked about it two weeks ago. I was last here with you about faith. Faith is the foundation of the virtues that Peter tells us to add on and build our life on. Faith, we talked about two weeks ago, is not the opposite of doubt. But in fact, 
Doubt can fuel your faith. Doubt, if you lean in with it, can grow your faith because they're not necessarily opposites. Because faith, one, it's not a blind leap, and it's also not 100% certainty. Rather, faith, do you remember, is trust. Faith is trust. And if you could grow in trust, it's okay if you have lingering doubts because that can have you explore things more and grow your faith. We're the type of church where you do not have to check your brain at the door. Amen to that. Now, so faith. Then Peter says, and add on to your faith, goodness. And Eric, one of our directors of student ministry, was here last week. I heard Eric did a great job. He's not here, but let's honor Eric. Let's do that. And we talked about goodness last week and how goodness is defined by God. God, we sing about it. Your goodness keeps running after me. And it's defined by him. But goodness is not moralism. Goodness is not moralism. It's not about being a good person, being good enough, letting your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And if you're a good person, you go to heaven. Because what do you know? The Bible doesn't say that good people go to heaven. It doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says good people don't go to heaven. It says forgiven people go to heaven instead. So we talked about goodness. Now it's a fruit. It's a, uh, it's a byproduct of having a friendship with Jesus Christ. So we talked about that. And then today, here's where Peter goes on where our topic for today is. It's not faith. It's not goodness. But we're going to add on to those, this quality here, knowledge. Knowledge. Now, as we just saw a minute ago from our video, knowledge is very valuable. And apparently, if you have enough knowledge, you can make a lot of money. Uh, how many of you watched what we just showed, the greatest of all time Jeopardy tournament? Yeah, everybody watched this. Did you know that an average, uh, the average viewer, which this is on prime time, it wasn't the usual Jeopardy syndicated slot. This was primetime television national on ABC. And what they, uh, what they concluded with the ratings were each night averaged over 15 million viewers. Check this out. The Jeopardy greatest of all time tournament in ratings outdrew the first four games of the NBA Finals, the first five games of the World Series, all but one of ESPN's Monday Night Football, and seven of Fox's Thursday Night Football showcases. The nerds have taken over, everybody. (laughs) Now, uh, as we saw from the video, the guy in the middle, Ken Jennings, which seems like the nicest guy of all the three, doesn't he? He might, I don't know if he is or not, I've never met him, but he just seems like a nice guy. He ended up winning the tournament, as we saw from the video, and to finish the question once and for all, who is the greatest of all time? It's Ken. And here's the question that he won on. The category was Shakespeare's tragedies, okay? And here's the clue. I don't want to get it wrong. Here's the clue. He has 272 speeches, the most of any non-title character in Shakespeare tragedy. Do you know what it is and who it is? The answer for a million dollars is who is Iago? Iago. Do any of you know who Iago is? Neither do I. The smart people in the room raise their hands. Good night. Nobody knows this stuff. I feel dumber, not smarter watching Jeopardy. Now, all three of those guys who are in the tournament, not one of them was from Florida. In fact, 
Floridians never get the headlines of Florida man wins Jeopardy tournament. No, no, no. Those aren't the headlines we get. The headlines we get are some of these here. I have them ready. Here's what Floridians get for headlines. Florida man arrested after argument over cheesesteak. These are all real. Here's another one. Florida man finds World War II grenade, places it in his truck, drives to Taco Bell. Here's another one. Florida man learns hard way. He stole laxatives, not opioids. He had a real bad day. And here's my favorite one. You can't make this stuff up. Florida man threatens to kill man with kindness. Uses machete named kindness. <laughs> these are all real, and these were all from January. That's it. <laughs> so, here's the deal. This isn't about smart people and dumb people. That's not what Peter's talking about. I got to tie my shoe. I'm going to trip while I'm preaching and fall down the stairs, and then that will be a Florida man headline. We don't want to do that. <laughs> We're not talking about smart people versus dumb people. When Peter mentions knowledge, what is he talking about? That's what we're going to discuss for us for our time today. So our passage of scripture comes from 2 Peter 1, and we're just adding on to this virtue list one step at a time. So we're in uh, 2 Peter, excuse me, I misspoke a second ago. 2 Peter 1, verse 5, and this is what the great fishermen Peter teaches to us. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when you told us that you would send the Holy Spirit to us, you said that your spirit would lead us into all truth. You said that the Holy Spirit's a teacher. So spirit of the living God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would teach us today and lead us into all truth and teach us about knowledge. Come Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 So let's talk about knowledge for a moment. Uh, when you're learning to read the Bible, um, because this book, there are parts of it that are very clear and parts of it that are not clear. Um, and so there's always sometimes, we, you know, if you have questions reading the Bible, it's actually a good thing. That's not a sign that there's something wrong with you. It's a sign that you're engaging with it. If you have a question, perhaps like the question is, what did Peter mean when he said, add to your uh, goodness? Knowledge, what does that mean? The first thing you do when you're reading the Bible is use context. So by context, I mean this, the immediate context of what comes immediately before the passage and what comes immediately after the passage. For instance, we'll notice this. If you read before verse 5, let's look at verses 2 and 3 on the screen. You'll notice this. We went over this a couple weeks ago, but it's pertinent for today. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through, ah, look, there it is, through the knowledge if you're taking notes, if you want to maybe underline this in your Bible, write this down. It's through the knowledge of God 
and of our Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So knowledge is just not facts, it's not trivia, it's not information. What Peter's talking about is knowledge of God in particular. Now what does he mean by that? Does he mean that just the awareness that there is a God and that he exists? Is it that you've read a thousand books about God? Is that what Peter meant? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that. That word knowledge that Peter's using over and over again in the Greek New Testament, that word is called gnosis. Everyone say that. Gnosis. It starts with a G and an N, not a K. Gnosis in Greek. And that word knowledge it really has three particular different layers and uses to it. It's used a variety of ways, but three uh, layers that go deeper with each one that's used in the scriptures today. Let's look at those three, what he meant. So here's the first one. When Peter's talking about knowledge, he first is talking about informational knowledge. Informational knowledge. We're going to put that up on the screen here in just a second. He's talking about informational knowledge. And this is learning information about God. And it's important to start here because it's hard to know somebody if you don't know basic information about him or her. You have to know this. Uh, this is how all relationships start. Uh, I'm going to tell you this morning uh, several stories about my two lifelong best friends. I'm going to show you a picture of them now. Here's a picture of my two lifelong best friends. It's me and my friend Brett and my friend Jeff. That's Brett in the middle, that's Jeff on the left, and that's me without a shower on a Saturday morning over Christmas. And, um, and so that's us being a bunch of goobers. And now I'm going to tell you stories about these two guys and our friendship as the three of us throughout the rest of our time today. So I'm going to keep coming back to this to illustrate what Peter is talking about and what we can learn from this. I've been friends with these guys for 23 years. Uh, I first became friends with them in 1996. I sat next to uh, my friend Brett on a middle school youth trip bus, a charter bus on a trip, and Brett introduced me to Jeff. We've been friends ever since. Uh, so here's some other pictures of us. Here's another one. This is us uh, with Jeff and the wedding day of him and his beautiful bride, Justine. He way outkicked his coverage. Good job, Jeff. And so here's another one at Brett's wedding, and that's them with their kids, and that's me holding my not-yet children. I didn't have any at that point. I have three of them now. Lots changed. And, uh, and so here's the next slide of us, uh, uh, Christmas or two ago, all getting together from all over the country to spend some time together over the holidays, me and my kids, Jeff and his family, Brett and his family. And so we've done a lot of life together, uh, living uh, just living together, being friends, being dear, dear friends. So here's how all of our friendships started. I became friends with Brett, like I said, sitting next to him on a bus on a middle school youth group trip. I sat next to him. We didn't know each other. I said, hi, I'm Trevor. What's your name? It was more like, hi, I'm Trevor. What's your name? I didn't have, believe it or not, I did not yet have a beard, okay, in sixth grade. I started shaving in seventh, but I didn't have a beard then. So um, I turned and said, hi, I'm Trevor, and he, oh, I'm, uh, you know, he was Brett, and we started a riveting conversation that lasted two hours about Highlander the series. Anybody remember that? There can be only one. Yes, I learned that Brett loved Metallica. Yes, it's way better than Megadeth, I don't care what you say. Oh, come on, everybody, come on. Everybody's the pastor likes Metallica. Just, just, okay. So, uh, there's that. He loves Star Wars and he loved black t-shirts. Okay, cool. Then I met my friend Jeff through Brett. I learned that Jeff is the biggest football fan on the face of the earth. He bleeds orange and blue. He, go Gators. It's hard for me to say as a Seminole. 
But, you know, he does it. He loves the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He loved the old school Christian bands, DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline and Carmen. Remember them? Remember them? A little bit of Audio A. It's a big, big house. Yeah, we loved all that back in the 90s. Uh, and uh, we just, and let's see. Oh, and Jeff also shared my deep, deep love for the WWE. <sighs> deep love for that. In fact, he and I, this year, we have tickets to go to WrestleMania together in Tampa. So... It's going to be good. So um, this is how we became friends together. Because I just learned their names, where they're from, what they liked. And I liked a lot of that stuff too. And that's how all friendships start. You learn basic information about the other person. And this is what's true with God too. Many people just need to know basic information about God. Like that God exists. That he uh, is one. That there's one God, there's not many. They need to know basic information about him. Uh, for instance, that he's love and he is holy. They need to know basic information, like he's revealed perfectly in his son, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. That he has a Holy Spirit that's at work in the world, at work in this room, and at work in your life, whether you know it or not. That he's revealed himself and inspired a book written through human authors telling the story of the people he's called and his movement to come and redeem the whole world. Information about God. And people begin to learn information about this God by reading this book and hearing about him and learning about him. And it's very important to always start here. Look at this. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says this. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Informational ignorance is not good. You need to know information and truth about who God is. And when people don't have that, they're destroyed for lack of knowledge and for ignorance. That's why our church is not an anti-intellectual church. We believe that learning is good, that truth is good, that facts are good, that books are good, that theology is good. Learning information about God is really important and good. But it can't end there. See, it's important to start here, but it's dangerous if somebody only stays at informational knowledge about God. Check out this verse. It's in 1 Corinthians 8.1. It says this. Now, we, we know that, quote, we all possess knowledge. Paul is quoting Greek philosophers at that point. But then Paul says this. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge does this. <sighs> puffs somebody's chest up. This is what guys do. Girls, I don't think you do this, but you know, guys would puff her chest out, get all prideful. Yeah. And this is what some Christians do when they know a lot about God. You ever met a Christian who knew a lot about the Bible and knew a lot about Jesus, but was completely unlike Jesus? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, that's why it's dangerous if you only stop at informational knowledge of God. When I was going uh, to seminary, I was in grad school to learn how to be a pastor. I had seen this before in other people, so I decided to put this on the front of my binder to daily remind me, don't let all this informational learning puff you up because information without knowledge is worthless. The Apostle Paul says, if I gain all knowledge but do not have love, I am nothing. So this is important. This is important. We need to start here, but we can't end here. So where do you go from there? Well, if there's informational knowledge, the next level that the, the Bible uses the word gnosis and, learn, and knowledge is not informational knowledge, but moves deeper into experiential knowledge, experiential knowledge. And this is where people can know things about God 
And then they begin to experience God. And this is true how all your friendships work and all your relationships work. You begin to know basic information about a person and hopefully you begin to build experiences together. So my friends, back to them, to Brett and Jeff. I learned all this information about them, had an interesting conversation with both of them to start off, but then we began to build a lot of memories together. We began to spend a lot of time together, specifically when all of us got our driver's licenses and we had a little bit of freedom to drive around. We spent all sorts of time together. We had countless sleepovers at each other's houses and you really get to know somebody when you do that, especially when one of them gets food poisoning from Denny's, from cheese sticks. Uh, you get to know somebody, especially if you're uh, Jeff on the left, his family loves football, bleeds football. His grandfather was the star quarterback for the Gators in the 50s. And so you can't be his friend without watching football. And we became friends right when the Buccaneers in Tampa quit losing and quit being the Yuccaneers under Tony Dungy, began winning the Super Bowl. That was a lot of fun. You built a lot of memories together. I remember watching WrestleMania 2000 with these guys, a bunch of other guys, and half of us cried because The Rock lost at the end of the night. We played stickball late at night. We hung out, had fun. We laughed till we cried. We drank way too much Mountain Dew Code Red. And then over time, as you began to spend time together and hang out together and grow closer to God together at the same time, it turns out God ended up calling all three of us into the ministry. All three of us are pastors today. Yeah. We didn't plan that, but God did. So you grow by building memories and having experiences together. That's why it's important to hang out. That's why with your small group here at church, Go eat food together. Go hang out outside the walls of this place. Go build memories and experiences together. It really matters. This is how friendships build, and this is how relationships with God build too. When you just don't know things about him, but you begin to experience things of him. Job wrote this in Job chapter 42, verse 5. He said, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. We've heard from countless people. See, we, we're the type of church where we want people who have never gone to church or hate church or quit church or have been burnt by church. We are the church for those types of people. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people when they say to me, like, I, I've never really been a church person, but when I come here, and I'm not an emotional person either, but when I come here and we're singing these songs, I get emotional all of a sudden. I don't know why. And I feel something when I'm in here. I feel something when you say things. When I'm reading this book, I'm experiencing things that I don't understand. And it's weird when I come here on Sunday morning, my whole week is completely different. And when I miss church, my week is completely different. It's because you're experiencing the Spirit of God at work in you. It's one thing you begin to learn about God. It's another when you begin to experience God's presence and when you experience his power in your life. Experience beats mere information every single day of the week. Every single day of the week. It's award season, 
right now. And I think, is tonight the Grammys, I think? Maybe nobody knows. Okay. Well, it's award season for film. All the award ceremonies and shows are on TV right now. We're gearing up for the Oscars in a few weeks. And uh, one of the one of the movies that's you know become a classic recently, the one a couple Oscars um, was back a while ago. It came out Goodwill Hunting. Everybody remember Goodwill Hunting? Great movie. Um, it's the movie that uh, was really successful. It won Matt Damon an Oscar for screenwriting. It won Robin Williams, the late, great Robin Williams. It won him his first and only Oscar ever for Best Supporting Actor. And I believe, as a film fan, uh, I believe there's one scene in particular that won Robin Williams, Best Supporting Actor. Here's the gist of the movie, if you're unfamiliar with it. Matt Damon plays a character called Will Hunting, who um, is a genius, literally a mathematical genius, but comes from a very troubled past. He gets in trouble with the law, and uh, he gets court-ordered to have to go see a counselor for therapy in order to deal with his parole and whatnot. Robin Williams is that counselor that he is court-ordered to begin seeing. And because this guy is an absolute genius, but he has little to no life experience, Robin Williams decides to be an older voice, a mentor, and even almost a father figure in his life, and call him out on his lack of experience in a moment of truth. It was a turning point for this character's life. And I want to read to you some of what he said. Now, it's just, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a bit of it. So I want you to just hang in here with me. It's worth it, okay? So it's a little long, and don't worry, I tastefully edited Robin Williams' language. <laughs> so Robin Williams says this to Will Hunting. He says, so if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, oh, you know a lot about him, his life's work, his political aspirations, about him and the Pope, the whole works, right? But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. How about if I asked you about women? You'd probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. Maybe you've even gotten lucky a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up to next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. I ask you about war. You'd probably throw Shakespeare at me, right? Ah, uh, once more to the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one, ever. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. And if I asked you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet, but you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone could level you with her eyes, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. See, guys, experience beats information only any day of the week. But when you begin to experience what you know intellectually, when what you know in here makes the 10-inch journey down into your heart, that's where divine things begin to happen. I had a friend growing up, uh, same circle of friends as my buddies Brett and Jeff. Don't put a picture of them yet. And uh, he was in our same church, our same student ministry, and he's the smartest person I knew growing up. Just brilliant kid, 
And he ended up becoming an atheist. And so here we are, we're all becoming pastors, and he ended up becoming an atheist. It was pretty sad. Well, somehow, both he and I went to Florida State University, and uh, we rekindled our friendship there, and obviously had widely divergent views on a whole lot of things, and he couldn't possibly understand why anybody with a whole brain would believe that there's a God who is out there who exists. And so because we're friends, and I'm not going to let something like that ruin a friendship necessarily, we went to go eat and have food once a month together, and I let him pick where we went to eat, and we went to all these, you know, really hipster restaurants. I mean, I, I ate food I can't even pronounce, and um, we ate and had just great conversation together. And I remember one day in particular, he was telling me a highly technical, sophisticated, complicated, philosophical argument of why God does not exist and why we should question the existence of everything. And I just kept being like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, I don't understand half of what he's saying. And you know where the conversation went? I just started to tell him what my experience of God was like. Again, I'm not an anti-intellectual. And after I told him, we were going back and forth about it, we're still eating, and he quit eating. And he lifted his eyes up from his bowl, and he looked at me and said, what does God feel like? And I looked at him, and I said, he feels like peace. And that friend today, it didn't happen then, but that friend today is a Christ follower again, thanks be to God. He came home. He came home. He came home because experience matters. And you know what? There's even a deeper level than not only just information, which is important, experience, which is important. There's something even deeper than just experiencing the presence and power of God. And here's the best way I know how to put it. What the Bible talks about when it's using the word gnosis. It's deep friendship knowledge. Deep friendship knowledge of God. It's learning, not just the presence and power of God, but it's about learning the heart of God as your friend. You know what made me and my friends Brett and Jeff, what made us best friends, lifelong best friends? Um, It wasn't all the fun that we had together. It wasn't all the silliness that we had together. It was that we got to a deep heart level with each other. They were my first small group. That's why we love small groups here. And we weren't there because somebody made us. We met on our own. We didn't have an adult volunteer leader. The three of us would meet in somebody's room or somebody's house after a sleepover or whatever. And we would talk. We would pray for each other. Get this we would confess our sins to each other. They know everything about me. And I know everything about them. There were no secrets. And not because we were just sharing secrets about each other, we are confessing where we needed the grace of God in our lives, the hidden stuff, the stuff you're afraid to even admit to yourself. We not only did that, but we would encourage each other. In those meetings, we would challenge each other to become more like Jesus because in our friendships, complacency with God was not allowed. We were going to go deep in God together. 
as friends, and we still do. I have a video conference with the three of them tomorrow about a book we're reading together. It matters, and it mattered, and we got deep because we let each other in here. And we're vulnerable enough to be completely known by each other. Now, here's the real crazy thing. This is where all deep friendships go is to know somebody and to be deeply known by somebody. And this is what's the crazy thing of it all is that this is what God desires with you. What's nuts about this is you already are completely known by God. The scriptures talk about how God has numbered every single hair on your head. And for those of you who you know, are a little bit more aerodynamic than the rest of us, he knows how much facial hair that you have. God intimately knows you already, knows all the good and all the bad. He completely gets everything about you. You are laid bare before God. He gets you completely. But he wants you to know him the same way. Psalm 25, 14 says this. The Lord confides in those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them. Deep friendships happen when people confide in each other. Think about this. God wants to confide in you as his friend. Have you ever thought about that God wants to share his secrets with you? It's a wild thought. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this. It's my favorite passage of Scripture. It comes from Ephesians 3, and it's a prayer. And it's a prayer, what I call a prayer of deep friendship. And he prays this for the church in Ephesus and for us today. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And here it is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know the heart of God by his power in your heart. Instead of saying, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. It's Jesus loves me, this I know because he told me so. It's moving from having information about God in your brain. It descending into your heart by experience and then bursting into flames of holy love because of friendship and intimacy with the God of the universe. The great devotional classic, The Cloud of Unknowing, it's hundreds of years old, talks about prayer and it says this, he whom neither men nor angels can grasp by knowledge, oh, he can be embraced by love. And this is the knowledge that Peter is talking about. That you would know God, that you would know the love of Christ beyond information, that you would have deep friendship, intimacy, that you know that God knows you and that you know his heart. 
And let me tell you, God just doesn't have one or two best friends. This is an open invitation to everybody. It's not just for the elite. It's just not for pastors. It's just not for people who work at a church. It's for everyone, for everyone and for you. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. It's my favorite promise in all of scripture. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. And you and I are as close to God as we want to be. So in 2020, the challenge is, will you grow in your knowledge, your deep friendship with God? For some of you, this looks like you do need to grow in information. You literally don't know enough about him. And he's inviting you to read this book and to learn some things about him, about his character, his nature, his promises. Some of you need to get on a Bible reading plan because you need to grow in your knowledge. There are others of you, we got all sorts of information, but you need experience. And so you need to sing a little bit more in church. You need to lean in here with your heart. You need to get prayer in a prayer room. You need to come to a prayer meeting. You need to start pushing in to experience the Holy Spirit of God. And then there's some of you, when you know that he's drawing you closer to be a deep friend of his. And so if you're going to grow in your knowledge, you need to find places to be alone in quietness and stillness with him so that you can hear his heart for you. Will you grow in your knowledge of God in 2020? If you add it to your faith and your goodness, it'll be the best year yet. If you're able, would you please stand? So um, I invite you to bow your heads and I want you to ask God a question before we leave here today. Just simply ask him this. God, where do you want me to grow in my knowledge of you this year? Lord, search our hearts and speak. Prompt and lead, Spirit of God, reveal to each person here where you're leading us to grow in our knowledge of you. And just wait on him. Thank you, Lord. And now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would pour out the Holy Spirit on each one of us here and that you would give us power in our inner being so that we would know the height and the width and the length and the depth of the love of Christ. And Lord, that you pour out power upon us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. We want to know your heart. We want to know your heart, God. We want to be a people who are friends with you at this church. Would you come do it by your grace? We lean in now. As we draw near to you, draw near to us. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.